What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to a special episode of Baseball America's From Phenom to the Farm. I am your host, Kyle Banduho. The past few months on this show, we've been talking to current and former professional baseball players who signed out of high school about their experiences as an 18-year-old professional and their journeys heading up the ladder through the minors. Since we're coming up right on draft day, today's episode compiles some of the draft stories these players have shared with us, their run-up to and actual experience on draft day. Quite a few of these are in already released episodes. You can check out full versions on this feed wherever you get your podcast. A couple others are featured on upcoming episodes, so if you want to catch those episodes in their entirety, please go subscribe to From Phenom to the Farm wherever you get your podcast. Uh, these aren't going to quite line up with the experience of this year's draftees in this year's extremely unique five-round draft. A few of these guys were drafted in rounds that aren't even going to be a thing this year, but regardless, it's a good collection of timely experiences that we wanted to put together and share. For all your draft coverage, head on over to BaseballAmerica.com. It's never been a better time to be a subscriber. Mock drafts, the full BA500 with scouting reports is up. Carlos Colazzo has been doing chats. Uh, BA is on top of this unique draft setting. There's also an article from me up today writing up some of these draft stories from the podcast and featuring a story that isn't in this episode. So uh, again, check out BaseballAmerica.com for all your draft and amateur college minor league baseball coverage. We're going to lead off with uh, Eric O'Flaherty from episode one of this podcast. He's a good one to start out with for a few reasons, aside from just being the first guest on episode one. O'Flaherty was a six-round selection, meaning had he been a high school senior in 2020, it's likely that he would have headed to college, headed out to Oregon State instead of the professional ranks, and pro ball would have potentially missed out on what was a 10-year big leaguer. He's also a guy who, heading into his third season, was pretty close to broke and struggling in the minors, cutting off payments in a situation kind of like we're currently facing, which some big league teams are doing to non-40-man roster players, might have pushed Eric O'Flaherty out of baseball, or at least backed him into a corner. And again, that's a it's a 10-year big league talent the sport could have lost out on. So it's just really something that's kind of relevant or interesting to think about in these times. Uh, but with that being said, here is the draft day experience of Eric O'Flaherty, who at age 18 had to act as his own agent. So draft day. So back then, all we really had was that MLB.com draft tracker, right? It had um, it had some, it had a little clip of you throwing. It had a scouting report, and then as the draft unfolded, just each guy's little profile would pop up next to that team in their slot. 
Um, so I, I went to school and the draft was starting at like one. So I left school at noon. Um, yeah, I didn't have anybody around me. My dad was at work. My mom was at work. I was just sitting on my couch and watching this draft tracker thing. Um, and the rounds just go by. My agent had told me, he goes, you're going to go anywhere from the third round to the seventh or eighth round. And, you know, just being naive, I just figured, nah, I'm going third round. I threw 92 last weekend, you know, um, not really understanding how it worked or anything. But, uh, yeah, so I get a call uh, while the fourth round's going on. And it's this guy, Jay Harrison, that I really liked. He'd come to my house that offseason, um, scout for the Braves. And he said, and the Braves were on me hard. Uh, which kind of explains why I wound up with them later on in, in life. They they always liked my arm. But uh, Jay Harrison calls and he goes, hey, man, uh, we're not going to be able to take you with this fourth round pick. But if we take you in the fifth round, will you sign for 300000 I said, yeah. you know, Yeah, you're and rich. This was the thing. I'd, yeah, I mean, that's got to be like three houses. I don't know. Let me, let me get some of this money. Uh, and I wanted to be with the Braves because they'd sent me this video with Chipper and all these guys talking about how great it was to be a Brave. And, you know, I don't know if kids would fall for that now, but I thought it was the coolest video ever. Um, so I'm on the phone with him. He's saying, well, you signed for 300. And then the fifth round pick comes and they take somebody else. And he calls me right back and he goes, look, w- w- you know, we got this other guy we didn't think was going to available. We're going to take you in the sixth round. We'll still give you the 300. Does that sound like a deal? And I said, yeah, you know, no problem at all. I don't know why my uh, advisor, because you don't call him an agent yet, but my advisor didn't prepare me for this day one bit. Because um, I think he thought I was going to be a first rounder when he picked me up. And so when I started, you know, my stock started falling, I think he kind of lost some of that interest. But uh, so they call and they, you know, Jay's, I'm on the phone with Jay and he says, you know, we're going to give you 300 or just, just hold on. You know, we're going to take you with our next pick. I promise. I'm like, cool. I'm going to the Braves. While I'm talking to him, my phone beeps, and it's Phil Geisler, a scout for the Mariners. And Phil calls me, and he says, uh, hey, this is Phil Geisler with the Mariners. We're about to take you with our next pick. Will you sign for 150000 I said, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's do it. I just, you know, I just wanted to play pro ball, right? Um, so, I mean, I cost myself 150000 right there just saying yes. But that was where my did head you went have back. nerves or was were you just kind of taking everything as it was? No, I just had a big grin on my face. Like, this is awesome. These pro ball teams are finally drafting me. You know, I just I was pretty um, I was pretty dead set on the idea since I had been told I was going to be a high draft pick. I was so committed to it that I just I just wanted into pro ball at that point any way possible. Next up is Luke Bailey, the 2009 fourth round pick of the Rays, who we talked to on a previous episode a few months ago. Bailey entered the spring of 2009 with a shot at being a first-rounder and the first high school catcher off the board. Then he blew out his elbow, had Tommy John surgery, and entering the professional ranks became a much bigger question mark for him. Again, you can check out that full episode on the From Phenom to the Farm feed wherever you get your podcast, but here's Luke Bailey about his draft day experience. I don't know if I fully understood what was going on at that time. I mean, just the gravity of everything. Uh, I mean, I just... In my head, I was, you know, still getting drafted, still everything was still good. But, you know, it, it was it was the thoughts of college, the, the thoughts of going now going to a junior college, the thoughts of what if I, you know, I mean, just a lot of what ifs, a lot of scenarios, a lot of praying, a lot of talking. And, uh, you know, and that was then we and that was actually when we gave the number four. 
the draft. I mean, as far as the amount that it would take for me to go and, and it was just a tough, it was a really tough decision. I mean, the, the thought of going to a junior college was that all of a sudden became a very likely option, you know, to go and, and DH somewhere and maybe, and then go and do the draft again. So then walk me through, through draft day. You're uh, sitting on a couch or sitting somewhere, elbow in a sling. What is that? What is that process like? It was, it was different. It was definitely different than I saw it happening early in my high school season. Um, but, you know, just sitting there watching TV, knowing that the situation was different and at the same time seeing all of my friends that I've played with throughout this process, uh, getting interviewed and being on TV, that part was, it was great. I mean, it was, there was no jealousy. It was just, it was just pure happiness for, for a lot of good guys that were, that were getting signed. I mean, you got, uh, Zach Wheeler, when he was getting interviewed, um, you know, Donovan Tate, when he was, you know, he got drafted high and all these guys, Nick Franklin, when, you know, he went and I mean, just a lot of friends went in the first, uh, two rounds. It was awesome watching them on TV and, and, uh, you know, and I knew that my day was probably the next day. So, you know, went to bed and woke up and just kind of went through the day as far as seeing what would happen. I mean, you, it's kind of a waiting game. You just wait to see who's going to call. And I mean, I knew it was down to about four teams that, that were willing to hit my number and take me in a certain round. And the Rays called and, and um, you know, they said, Hey, you know, we'll take you in the third round. And then I was like, all right, great. So we sat there and watched the computer and then, you know, they called back again. They said, would you, we'll give you the same amount of money. If we take, is it all right if we take in the fourth round, uh, we want to get this guy in the third that might not be there again. I said, yeah, sure. I mean, I don't, I don't really care. <laughs> you know, whatever, whenever you want to take me is fine. As long as, you know, as long as you take me. So, uh, you know, and they did it. It was just kind of a, it was almost a weight of stress, a weight of anxiety, just everything lifted excitement. Um, and then just once, I guess once I saw my name pop up on the computer, it just, everything changed. Um, just a career started, you know, and just seeing what would come after that. Okay, now we get to Lane Adams, current outfielder in the Minnesota Twins organization. And like Luke Bailey, a 2009 draft pick, but of the Royals. His full episode is going to be featured on the next episode of From Phenom to the Farm. Lane's draft day is one of the favorite stories I've heard since I started doing this series because I think he had the most unique response to being asked about his hopes for draft day. So let's get right to it. So then what's the run-up to the draft like for you once basketball's over and you're headed over to, if you're playing some baseball in the spring, was it was it your goal to go pro? Were you hoping to get drafted or was it just like a thing where if it happens, you'll think about it. If not, you'll just go play basketball. Uh, honestly, I didn't want it to happen. I wanted to play. Honestly, I didn't want to get drafted because um, I knew that if I did will get drafted, that I would most likely be walking away from basketball. And I, honestly, that is such a hard decision for me, a hard thing for me to do. And I didn't, I didn't want to have to like make that decision. Um, 
So honestly, sitting sitting in my computer class in in Springfield, Missouri, when the draft was rolling around, I was kind of hoping no one just called my name. Um, that was you know, kind of what how I was feeling mentally or about the whole situation. Well, then walk me through draft day. You're at school just watching the ticker. Well, yeah, I'm in. Uh, so I got up there. It's like summer. I think I've been up there two, three days, um, going through workouts and stuff. Really enjoying it. Um, and then I'm sitting in my computer class, and I know the draft's going on. And one of the scout, a scout, that called me and said, "Hey, they're going to take you in the somewhere between the eighth and twelfth round." So I, so I'm following along on my on my uh, laptop when uh, eighth round comes by, nothing. 11, 10, 11, 12, nothing. Like, oof, maybe they're not going to draft me. So a little bit of sigh of relief. Then, and then this 13th round rolled by, and then say, hey, this is it. And I'm like, ah, well, damn. <laughs> well, so I just closed my laptop, and I just left the class, and I had to walk over to the uh, basketball department and had to go have a sit down with our coach, which was great. <laughs> So what was his what was his reaction? Was he the first person you really talked to after you got drafted? No, because I called my mom on the way over there. Uh, but yeah, but as far as well, yeah, I guess he was one of the first ones. He's the second one. It was great, man. Uh, I say great. It was yeah, it was great. He he handled that situation. You know, I couldn't ask for a better. You know, I couldn't ask for a better for that situation to be better the way, than the way it went. It was a great conversation. He supported everything I did. He encouraged me to go play. He, you know, he could easily could have made that a really difficult decision and pressured me to stay and, you know, kind of been an ass about it, but he, he wasn't, he was, he's a great dude. Um, you know, it's kind of why I committed there to play for him because the type of guy he is, uh, but he was super encouraging and, uh, he, um, he, he was really happy for me and my family about the opportunity. He, he was actually insisting I take take the opportunity and, you know, give it a shot. And he said, hey, if he doesn't work out for you, you know, I'll still be a basketball coach, you know, down the road. Um, I can always hit him up when I get done playing, which I don't know if he'd want a 30-year-old on his roster now, but I might be making that phone call soon. Um, <laughs> but no, You're he was, still, was still got eligibility. Yeah, I get four years. Now. No, it was great, uh, but the whole time walking over there, I thought, man, this guy, you know, he's exhausted. His, his energy, his, you know, and time away from his family to recruit me, and you know, we built a pretty good relationship just, just from the recruiting process and me committing there and the first couple of days on campus. I mean, we had a really good relationship. We still do. Uh, so be able to like, so it's kind of, I felt really bad, and I, I felt like I was letting him down, but. It, when he was really you know, excited and happy for me and the opportunities, and that really meant a lot, meant a whole lot. And that really uh, took the, the, the burden of the pressure uh, right off my shoulders. As soon as, as soon as I walked in and saw that he was, you know, really, he was congratulating me. He was following the draft. He already knew. Like he, he was aware. And so he was really excited and happy for me. And that meant a lot for me. So now let's throw it back to the 1996 draft and Chad Durbin, the longtime big league pitcher and World Series champ who was featured in the last two episodes of this podcast. I think Chad's draft story doesn't start as much on the actual draft day, although he does have a very, very interesting draft story, something that wouldn't come around in, uh, in 2020. Um, it, but it doesn't start as much on draft day as it does the day he attended an LSU game where he was committed to pitch uh, right before draft day. And it kind of started to shape his decision on what his feelings were heading into pro ball. Here's Chad. 
watched a ton of baseball and I listened. I, I read. I, I read the books that people would pump out. Um, you know, on the mental game, on the on the on the physical side. Um, I was just really curious and and I guess bright enough to wrap my brain around it to some level. And I went out. I went out and we we charted a game that Eddie Yarnell, who was uh, a left-handed pitcher who played in the big leagues, um, you know, came to LSU. He threw 81, 82 sliders out of like 110 pitches. And I was just back there because I thought it was cool and, and we were going to chart it, um, just something fun to do. And in watching and looking at that, it just like came, I couldn't, I couldn't buy into that being something I was going to do uh, with my arm and my body if I wanted to have a long career. And so I guess somewhere in, in that period of time between being recruited on the college level and then making the decision on whether or not I was going to be an LSU Tiger or go in the draft, because then you started to get the calls. Oh, LSU signed him. Oh, he's healthy. Um, you know, because I had sprained an ankle my, my senior year in basketball, and nobody showed up to my first couple baseball games. And sprained ankle, three, four weeks, and you're, you're close. Um, but Skip and, and those guys, and this is just secondhand knowledge. He probably didn't say this, but um, they put it out there that I wasn't going to play all spring. You know, hey, it's broken. <laughs> he's not playing. Um, but in, in the first couple outings, they weren't going to be as, as, you know, firm as later on, you know, so, you know, making that decision was tough. And, and, you know, even as it ran up into the draft, I had a good, I had a very good senior year. Um, you know, we went on our, our senior trip down to Cancun, Mexico, and I was getting phone calls in the, in the hotel room, um, you know, which was funny, the pirates and, and, uh, you know, if the Cubs would have called, I'd have probably told them whatever, just sign me. Um, but it was, it was the Royals and, and the Pirates and uh, the Mets were big, but the Mets wanted me to be a, a, an infielder. They were big on me as an infielder. And, you know, it kind of just played out. I came, you know, the draft happened on the day we came home. Um, I got off the plane in, uh, in New Orleans with my entire senior class that did go to, to Cancun that year. And, and my dad was holding up three fingers. And I'll be honest with you, I hadn't slept in like 48 hours because I was going to milk that trip for everything I had. Um, and I, I didn't understand. And then finally got closer to him. He's like, Hey, third round buddy, the Royals. And, uh, and I said, well, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, I was like, you know, that I understand that's a slot, but not like a slot, like we think of it now, but, um, what do we do now? And he said, well, we'll get home. you you can rest. Um, I'm sure they're going to want to talk to you. Um, and I was like, well, have they talked about like numbers or anything? Like, what does that mean? He's like, nope, I, not, not that I know of. You've got your, uh, a crawfish boil that we're going to do a couple days in because, you know, people expect you to, um, you know, either go pro or, or sign at LSU officially. Um, so we're kind of trying to run that, um, you know, down the line. So I got in the car with my, you know, the, the same best friend I told you about earlier. He's sitting on the right side. We were in my dad's Ford Ranger and I just nodded off, you know, the whole ride. New Orleans Baton Rouge is about an hour. And when I got home, it you know, kind of regained consciousness and was like, wait a second, we've got some decisions to make. And I can't remember if it was that day or the next day, but Dennis Woody, my, the scout that drafted me, he was, he was there and, and, you know, wanted to know what I was thinking. Okay, the next story up is from Zach Dotson, a left-handed pitcher who was a 2009 draftee by the Pirates. He was part of the big crop of high school pitching they took in that year's draft. 
This is from another upcoming episode of the series, so if you want to hear more of Zach's story about playing in the Pirates organization, independent ball, Mexico, Germany, Venezuela, everywhere you can imagine, uh, tune in for that upcoming. Heading into the first day of the draft in 2009, it'd been a few weeks since his high school season had ended, but Zach had been given enough of an indication by one organization in particular that come draft day, he'd be hearing his name called pretty quickly. That organization just didn't happen to be the Pirates. 2009 rounds one through three were the first day and then started with round four the next morning what was what was the draft process for you did you have a a feeling of where you'd go before then yeah so draft day was super disappointing like you said they did the first three rounds um in the few days leading up to that uh, the Nationals had like, hey, you know, do you want to do this? You know, like they do these pre-draft deals. I know they're probably not supposed to talk about it and all that, but they have these pre-draft deals where they call people like, hey, do you want this? Do you want that? Uh, you know, would you sign for this and that? And it's like, yeah, sure. You know, you, you start thinking about things. And well, the Nationals called one day and said, hey, would you sign for this in the third round? And we're like, yes, absolutely. Let's do it okay, you know, we're going to do this. And it was like two or three days leading up to the draft, like, hey, this is still on. Are you good? Are you committed? Yeah, our commitment is strong. Our commitment's good. You know, we're doing this. So in our mind, we're like, hey, like this is happening. Like this is going to be a reality. So my parents, uh, we threw a pretty pretty big draft party. And uh, we had like 30 friends over. And, you know, we're having a good time, you know, like good things are about to happen. And uh, you start watching on TV and the first round goes by and I see guys I know, see guys I don't know, you know. That first round ended up being okay, I guess. Some good guys coming through it. Um, then, you know, they they took off the broadcast off main TV and uh, sent it to the live stream. So, you know, we pull up the computer, everybody's having a good time. And uh, second round goes by, you know, nothing. And then the third round comes up, and the Nationals have the first pick. And we're like, all right, here it is, you know, here it is. Like, we're about to get drafted. And the sign comes up, and, you know, the Nationals end up drafting an outfielder or something, like a, a guy from the Northwest or whatever. And I just remember the most awkward silence, probably one of the most awkward silences I've ever had, of people just sitting in the room like, like what? Like, uh, you know, what's going on? And I felt so dumb. You know, I know my parents. You know, probably were like, "What? You know, we just told these people that you know we're, this is happening, and it didn't happen." So we sit there and everybody watched it. You know, we watched the rest of the rest of the round in, and uh, everybody goes home like super disappointed. Like, ah, uh, you know, it's unfortunate. And then uh, the next day, the fourth round starts at like. 8 o'clock in the morning or 8.30 in the morning or whatever. And uh, I just remember going to bed, like, you know, pretty disappointed. Like, you know what, whatever, life goes on. I'm going to go to college. And uh, that next morning I wake up to my parents and they were super excited. And I was like, what's going on? And they're like, hey, um, we're not 100% sure. And we didn't want to tell you last night, but the Pirates said, we'll give you, we'll give you this, you know, we'll give you 600 grand if, uh, if you can fall there. And we were like, what do you mean if we can fall there? We're like, okay, so that, at that point, you know, told the Nationals, like, hey, we're going to go to school. Like, you guys kind of screwed us. We're not happy with you. We're going to go to school. Don't, do not pick us. 
Because the Nationals had the first pick of the fourth round. The Pirates had the yeah. first pick of the fourth round. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we told them, like, you know what, we're not going to do it, blah, blah, blah. And um, they ended up taking A.J. Morris, who I ended up getting to know pretty good through workouts and stuff. He's a Texas guy. And ended up taking him, and then about, you know, whenever they show it on TV, the draft goes by, you know, nice in, like, five minutes. They, you know, they liven it up and stuff. And the time between when the Nationals picked and the Pirates picked – in the on the internet was about 15 seconds and um i just remember sitting there with my parents and uh, we're looking on the computer screen and we're listening and the, you know they call it in and say hey you know you hear your name get announced as the pick and it's like that you know oh wow like that oh moment like like this happened this is real and um i just remember like looking at my parents and uh we all cried we were all excited um and then, you know, you get a call 30 seconds later from my scout saying, you know, hey, this is so-and-so, you know, welcome to the Pittsburgh Pirates, blah, blah, blah. And it's like at that moment, it's it's real. You know, it happened. And, uh, you know, my dad being the man that he is and he's the hard worker he is, um, he sent me to work that day back doing construction. And um, that in itself was kind of a lesson too, oddly. Like, uh, you know, I just had the biggest moment of my life. Like, everything I've worked towards, like, you know, a dream is coming true. And my dad's like, hey, like, this is great, but the real world's still waiting. So you got to go build these decks. So it was like the whole draft experience was kind of surreal and uh, not quite what I was expecting. Robbie Rowland's story starts out a bit before draft day, mainly because of what he did to his draft stock in his last pre-draft outing. Rowland's experience in signing is about as normal kind of by the book as you can get. He was a third round pick, signed for slot, not too much of a negotiation there, but he had another agreement with the D-backs, the organization that drafted him, that made his draft day just a bit more interesting and a little more unique than anything else that we had had on this show. So with that, here is Robbie Rowland moments before my last high school start um it finally for some reason hit me because i think there was like a text may have come through from from somebody high up saying or maybe it was like an article got published you know because it was right around the time that the draft was getting hot and uh it had me pegged in the first round to the yankees and that's this was like i was on i was in the bathroom when i like got this you know notification i remember thinking it was like in the bathroom before the game starting and i'm like pitching that day and it hit me and i was like whoa dude like i need to go out and do this and that and all of a sudden it became this kind of like have to mentality rather than get to and dude my last high school start i pooped the bed harder than anyone could poop the bed in their life and uh fell to the third round <laughs> but hey man you live and you learn well you get so the the d-backs pop you with the 88th overall pick third round was there any i mean you would you had achieved the goal you had started out you had started out for it wasn't the first round that you thought it might have been maybe a couple weeks later but you still have hit that goal of okay we're top three rounds that means top three rounds slot was there any negotiation anything at all or was it okay slot let's let's get out to the let's get out to the field yeah there's actually negotiations in a in a in a more of a a different way in the sense of we negotiated a brother deal i don't know if you've ever had uh experience with that but my agent uh essentially negotiated terms so that the d-backs would sign my brother so my brother was a a junior 
and um, the the deal was I would sign for slot, even though I already kind of said that I would. I don't know why that was an emphasis, but I said I would sign for slot, make it like a super. Oh, I know what it was. It was because like there was there was talks about um, Barrett Lauks at the time, which actually ended up coming to be true, right? That he didn't sign with a six overall pick that year mm-hmm. to the D-backs. So they were. Um, so it was like you know we got to get this guy in quick, and then the the negotiation of the brother deal was like okay, well we'll make it super like simplistic on you guys as possible. Sign his brother. Then, you know, they had to make it to where my, my, my brother, the teams that were on my brother, like, weren't going to draft him. There was, like, a couple, like, loops or hoops that we had to jump through. I don't know. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's what we ended up kind of negotiating. But it was, it, was so, it was so funny because I remember, like, that day, right? <laughs> like, it's so, it's so hectic. And, you like, there's so many, like, thoughts. And I just remember, like, when I got that call of my agent saying, hey, the D-backs are going to get you in the next pick, like, you're signing right and i was like yeah and then it all just hit reality right like whoa this is happening <laughs> and uh but yeah it was it was a crazy experience and i i encourage everyone that goes through it man is like to really fully enjoy it like don't take it for granted man like that is something that is truly special right and it, like doesn't happen doesn't come around all that many times so there's some encouraging words for you y- young listeners i guess On the third episode of this podcast, we had on 1994 fifth overall pick Josh Booty, who for a time held the amateur signing bonus record and would eventually see time on both Major League Baseball and NFL rosters. His draft day isn't about as much waiting to see where he got picked as opposed to making sure he got picked where he wanted to be, as well as deciding between life in pro ball versus life playing quarterback for LSU. Here's Josh Booty. The scouts clearly saw something they wanted to see. Um, you know, here at Baseball America, you you rank the number one prep talent before you're going into your senior year. Clearly, the scouts thought highly of you and and thought about your pro prospects and thought there was a strong, you know, obviously you had a strong future. How did you feel about yourself, really? Did you, after playing with all those guys, did you feel like, hey, I can stick it and pro baseball, I, I can jump into pro ball after high school? Or were you still a little more focused on, hey, maybe I, I, I would rather go to college and also play quarterback? No, I, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to see, you know, how fast I could get to the big leagues, to be honest with you. I, of course, I loved football. I signed with LSU my senior year to play football, but also baseball. And a big reason why I signed with LSU was they were coming off a national championship baseball season with Skip Burtman, the legendary coach there. And they had great, they had a great, great team. Todd Walker was a good friend of mine. He was the, I think the MVP of the college world series was all American. I grew up with him and his family. Um, he was played second base at LSU. And anyways, uh, so I, I, I signed with LSU really to to play both and to and to be the shortstop at LSU my freshman year. And I, I had that I, – I was focused on both, to be honest with you. Um, I wanted to be the first ever guy to play quarterback and shortstop or third base in, in the big leagues in the NFL at the same time. I, Dion and Bo were always my heroes. And – and I wanted to do something that no one else had ever done before, and I thought I could do it. And and it's crazy to think that I could do it because, you know, it's just so hard as a quarterback. There's so much responsibility that you have on your shoulders, you know, when you're the quarterback at LSU, much less the NFL. So, I mean, it's so it's so 
darn difficult. You'd have to <clears throat> you'd have to be a Michael Vick type, I think, to or a Lamar Jackson type of guy that could just show up and 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 just beat everybody up with speed and athleticism uh, to be able to do it. I don't even know if they could do it because those guys weren't baseball players, you know. So it's a very difficult road, and I, I love both. I love both, man, and I still do. <laughs> well, you know, as your your senior year starts to wrap up, draft talk starts. Um, and it, I would assume, I would assume starts to become clear that you are going to have to have to make a decision, have to possibly pick dropping football. Um, what is, what is that like as you get closer to the draft and I assume scouts and everything starting to talk to your family, you're starting to, to put a number out there. How are you weighing playing college quarterback versus the versus heading into pro ball? Yeah, uh, I had to really, you know, think through everything. I, we we got the right advisor, Jeff Morad, um, who was with Lee Steinberg back in the day. Of course, he was a famous, famous agent, and they were a famous duo. And he had Will Clark and Matt Williams and Manny Ramirez and a lot of guys. And Will Clark was always my one of my favorite players growing up, so I thought, you know, if he can advise Will, he can advise me. And so Todd Walker, who I mentioned earlier at LSU, we both decided on going with the same agent, and it was it was Jeff Morad. And so Morad helped me navigate all of this stuff. Um, you know, it was like, okay, where am I going to get picked? How can I how can I get picked by a big market club or an owner that has deep pockets so that they can pay me enough to lure me away from football? Because um, you know, there was guys drafted ahead of me in the draft. We positioned ourselves fifth overall to the Marlins because White Wayne Izinga, who owned Blockbuster and Virgin Records and the Dolphins, they had a new franchise and there was no one in front of me in the organization. And so we 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 kind of pushed away the teams that were one, two, three, and four. Uh, the Mets were one, which could have been a, a real possibility to get paid, but Paul Wilson was consensus number one guy. He was the closest, I think, to the big leagues at the time. He was an All-American pitcher at Florida State, and he went number one overall and signed a $1.5 million deal. And then, you know, where was I going to go after that, really? And we tried to position myself to go fifth to the Marlins because not only did they were they a new franchise, I could get a the ladder fast, but they'd also pay me the money that it would that would take for me to to set football aside, and that's what what happened. It happened perfectly for me. We're gonna finish up with J.P. Ramirez, former Nationals outfielder, farmhand, who was featured in the second episode of this series. I wanted to finish up with J.P.'s story because he's exactly the kind of player who would definitely be hurt by a five round or just a shorter draft in general, like we could see in the future. He was an excellent prospect, but fell to the 15th round due to some size, signability concerns, and a bit of a spoiler alert for those who haven't listened to his full episode, he ended up coming to terms with the Nationals right at the day of the deadline. In a shorter draft format, talented players like JP likely end up with no choice but to go to school or take a reduced bonus just to be selected in the draft. Here's our last draft story from JP Ramirez. What was draft day like for you? Were you disappointed when the early rounds passed? Because obviously if you're an early round pick, the slot for your pick is higher. There, there's more of a chance that you might get offered something close to your number. Were you disappointed that you you know headed to the 15th round and it seemed at that point like the decision might have been made to go to school for you? What was kind of going through your head during draft Yeah, the, the advisor I had, he had called me 
during the draft, and it was, it was the first day of draft, asking if I would take slot for a certain pick, and I was just like, no. Nah. Like, I'm, I'm, like, I told him no. I mean, he knew the number that I had at the time, and, you know, which was, you know, I, you know, I wanted seven figures. So, you know, that was, like, the only way it was going to take me away from, from going to school. So I guess when he, when teams would call him asking if I would sign for slot at this pick, you know, he'd say, well, no, he, he's going to go to school if, unless he gets this amount of money. So, you know, I felt like, you know, maybe like those, uh, you know, so teams, you know, they all talk, you know, so maybe one team called and said like, no, he's not going to take that. So that's whenever uh, I felt drastically in the draft. So then, you know, word spreads fastly during that whole process and uh, other teams got it got a hold of that information. So I ended up, you know, going down to the 15th round, uh, which, I mean, of course I was disappointed at the, at the time, uh, you know, even though I didn't mind going to school, but I was like, wow, you know, I had really good summers and really good uh, you know, high school seasons. And then, you know, then being on the USA team, I felt like, you know, maybe that would, those, that was enough to, you know, maybe get picked up in the you know, first couple of rounds. But, uh, you know, it didn't happen. I was a little, little sad, uh, but I got over it the first day, and then um, I went to. I didn't, I didn't honestly pay attention to the draft anymore after you know a while. I just kind of like I went to a buddy's house, and we were just hanging out and playing pool and going swimming. It was you know summertime, so where they're having a good time, and then he was the only one that was like keeping track of everything, and then he uh, he saw. He saw my name get picked, and he's like, "JP, like, you, you just got picked." I was like, "I was like, really? Oh, wow, that's cool." And then he's like, "Yeah, man, the Nationals took you in the fifteenth round." I was like, "Oh, wow." And then shortly after that, I got a phone call, and and then I, I you know, I talked to them, and they said, "You know, uh, you know, your number. We we know what your number is. We're gonna, you know, work hard and see if we could get to get to that point." Uh, he's all, but you know, we we took your we took your name and. Uh, just want to congratulate you and getting chosen. So that was that. Was that. And that's going to wrap this episode of From Phenom to the Farm. If you enjoyed these draft stories and haven't listened to the full interviews yet, go check out the podcast feed wherever you get your podcast, and stay tuned for the full episodes featuring Lane Adams and Zach Dotson. And also, please don't forget to leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts if you so wish. Before finishing up this podcast, I would be remiss not to express my support for those protesting across the country and across the world to uh, protesting racial injustice and uh, to end police violence. I myself personally am supporting Campaign Zero. If you are interested in taking a look at that, go to joincampaignzero.org and uh, take a look at the agenda to end police violence. That is something that I myself am supporting, and um, but I, I do want to commend Baseball America for putting out a statement on um, on the subject as well. Remember to continue to check out BaseballAmerica.com for all the upcoming draft day coverage, as well as amateur and minor league baseball coverage. And you can catch new episodes of From Phenom to the Farm every other Tuesday. With that, I am Kyle Bandujo, and thanks for listening.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.